for yeah, some why is like that why are you not like allowed do. yeah why can't you moisturize your face like i don't understand you should be, you you should be. it's cold it's horrible it's, <laughs> it's really not a great thing like i will give you my best face hey mask. everyone i'm uswa and i'm yasmin welcome to inner work ally squared's official podcast where we learn about how to better practice allyship today we're going to be talking about toxic masculinity that's going to be a very, very interesting discussion we have because as two people who identify within the feminine, um, it's going to be interesting to see how our perspectives on toxic masculinity really show up in the world and how they have affected our lives. Yeah, I feel like women tend to have very strong opinions about toxic masculinity and how it affects us. So Yeah, and then at the same time, I mean, I have conversations and questions about how it's even appropriate for us to you know enter conversations about toxic masculinity as women because of toxic masculinity I find we always need to create safe spaces um, for ourselves to be you know safeguarded our feelings to be heard our opinions to be validated you know does that still work in the context of you know fighting toxic masculinity in male spaces Um, And so do you want to start off with an official definition like we always do? Yeah, so toxic masculinity can be defined as traditionally masculine traits that are harmful to society and that are a result of patriarchy. But this doesn't mean that all masculine traits are toxic. That's not what it means. Um, It's just, you know, the kind of typical macho traits that we yeah to think of yeah the traits that we really do see affecting us negatively in society and they're compounded and i feel like certain ways that our society has moved have compounded them and put more value on them versus traditional traits of masculinity that might have actually been very conducive to a healthy society and so you know when we talk about what kind of traits make masculinity we have to first talk about the fact that gender and gender norms and gender rules are all social constructs so there's no inherent you know rules or ways of living that really create that binary and that binary is a social construct and so understanding that toxic masculinity is a production of false and made up and manufactured constructs of gender so that's the first thing The second thing is what is feminine and masculine has been very arbitrarily decided and therefore while we see it as something that's incredibly embedded in our society, it's actually something that's very changeable because we're the ones, or not we as you and me, but we as society have created those gender constructs. Yeah, and also just what culture has created as a norm for everyday living for you know quote-unquote men and women and culture creates norms and those then become you know normalized and how we view you know what gender should be and how people should act and I guess you know in layman's terms I'm kind of just repeating what you said but (laughs) it's good it's good I feel like I'm validating and also the fact that not all cultures are patriarchal and so I mean we look at indigenous cultures and a variety of them are very matriarchal um you know cultures all over the world do put women in the matriarch as the center of their culture and so it's not something that we're really broadly generalizing either 
let's go into now talking about why certain masculine traits have turned into something that is toxic. So for me, when I think about femininity, it's always an understanding that, you know, there's, yes, of course, there's rules and there's, you know, things that women, you know, societally have to do. But I always see it as a more fluid way of being, fluid way of following these arbitrary social constructs. Whereas when I think about masculinity, in my head, I almost picture like a steel wall and how rigid it is and how terrifying it is when you're constrained by those walls. Yeah, and I think I think of, you know, what are the thing how you should not act. When I think of toxic masculinity, you know, things that are toxic, it's ways that you should not be. So you should not be emotional. You should not be almost like empathetic to others. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be, you know, you have to be strong. You can't like seek mental help, mental health help and like all of these very rigid rules that you have to follow in order to be quote-unquote a man there's ways that that's already been breaking down and you see that a lot of like a lot of happening in the queer community with less restrictions on what people wear and it's so great to see the ability of what people who identify within the masculine are doing to push that work out But in other times we see, you know, increased rates of gender-based violence and we see um, the ways that populist leaders in, whether it be Canadian society or in the United States or in Western Europe, the ways that they use this kind of machismo and bravado in order to get votes and how you see that also in the alt-right. And so I just feel like it's complicated because you see queer communities and you see people who are now starting to have discussions about why toxic masculinity has affected them and is so deeply rooted in the ways that they were either taught or feel like now um and then in other times you just see that it's going so horribly and you can see the effects of it yeah and just to add on to that i think we've seen in society such a huge normalization of male violence Mm -hmm. within you know video games Mm -hmm. and even when you're a child fights at school and things like that and it's just normal and it's a very like boys will be boys type of a mindset yeah the old boys club boys will be boys those are things that we've definitely heard yeah and they're it's it's very harmful because i feel like not every you know person who identifies as a male wants to fight people not everyone wants to be violent like people i feel like humans are not inherently violent and we've kind of perpetrated this idea that men are inherently violent beings Mm -hmm. and that that's normal like it's normal for you know especially i feel like especially teenage boys Mm -hmm. it's normal for them to you know go through a period where they are very angry and very violent Mm -hmm. and all of these things have become normalized and it's not it's not normal yeah Um, and i wonder if it's if it's just even like i i mean when i've seen it in my life i've seen it as oh yeah it's just a phase they're young they're emotional this and that but i don't think that it's really a phase i think it actually just extends into the private life of a person and so that's why we see domestic abuse and that not coming out as much and that's essentially because You can see someone and think, you know, they're the picture-perfect, again, socially constructed male. 
but it really does end up that all of these violent behaviors and low emotional, you know, EQs, all of that is just hidden in the background. And I think we don't talk about toxic masculinity enough when we talk about allyship and the ways that allyship needs to go from performative to action oriented. And I mean, I think you and I here sitting here can't have that discussion alone. And I think it's so incredibly important to discuss that with someone who really does understand what toxic masculinity looks like and how it can be overcome. And so we have a guest, Ally Squared's official first guest for our Inner Work podcast, and we're so excited that he's here. So Sid is from an organization called Boys of the Future that he founded. So Boys of the Future is a community-driven initiative with the goal of creating a space for people who identify as men. Um, they essentially help young people find acceptance, understand purpose in their communities, and become future leaders. And we had heard of Boys of the Future through um, a great volunteer that we had who had really good connections with them. And since finding them out, they've supported us so much in the ways that we want to practice allyship for communities. And they've definitely practiced allyship for us. Um, they have conversations with their key audience about men's roles in empowering women, for example. And that's something that I haven't seen being done by an organization in this way. And you know, understanding boundaries, being aware of racial issues and intersectionality that goes in this, talking about queerness and queer identities within those who still identify within that masculine, and then the importance of self care, which we never talk about. We for never men. talk about that for men. And no. they do it in such great platforms through, you know, just ways that men want to have those conversations. And so, without further ado, we'd like to welcome Sid. Hi, Sid. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. You're Ally Squared's first official guest. How does that feel? <laughs> Quite an honor, actually. <laughs> um, so, how would you define the work that Boys of the Future does? Um, so, it's just community-based. Um, me, personally, I've always looked at you know solving problems, uh, starting in your backyard. We all have dreams and aspirations of changing the world, but we forget about our own communities. And I think that that's the best place to start. You look at your family, your friends, you keep them in check and you say, hey, are we are we doing the right things? Are we thinking the right way? Um, and you know what? It's like uh, it's like everybody in their lawns. If everybody takes care of them, super green, water, which kind of a bad analogy because lawns aren't the greatest for the environment. <laughs> no, but we're following. We totally understand what you mean. Right, and- so your neighborhood looks looks good because everybody's doing their part and um you know that's that's where it starts you you start in your backyard so that's what boys of future is um me personally you know i've got i've got my story about just being a dude and and growing up in uh, in canada so um i have a wonder i have a privilege of having a wonderful uh group of friends and we just kind of looked at that and said hey how can we extend this to our communities and hold each other accountable become better people and um elevate those around us Absolutely. And I mean, my first question is, how did that conversation and that space that you created within your friend group turn into an organization? And what kind of conversations did you have in your friend groups that really enabled you to feel comfortable and to fight, you know, those toxic masculinity traits? Um, I think to start, uh, there's two good ways to look at toxic masculinity and a and theme of you know, holding each other accountable comes kind of from these two. Um, so the first one I look at is 
you know, fundamentally as a human being, we all want to be accepted socially. It's just, it's just who we are. Right. And in, in the, in the men's community, it's exactly the same. We look for validation. It's almost that, you know, everything that we do, it's so that we could go to our buddies and kind of validate and say, Hey, you know, dating a pretty, pretty girl, or this is my job, or this is how good I am at sports type thing. It was just kind of something that was something we grew up with. It seemed normal. And the second thing is, I also feel as with any person in a position of privilege, your default knee jerk reaction is to have entitlement just because of the lack of perspective mm-hmm. you, you may have experienced in the world, right? So another thing that men have is unchecked entitlement, mm-hmm. right? Um, these are two things that I, I believe that if you address at the root cause, you can fix a lot of what we're seeing in toxic masculinity. Um, I don't know if I answered your question, just kind of went on a big, oh, actually, I remember it now. Um, <laughs> so you had asked what kind of conversations did we have in our friend group. I think we just addressed these two themes, which was the validation factor and unchecked entitlement. And any scenario that came by, we kind of asked each other, we were like, hey, okay, why are you really feeling this way? Why are you mad about this? You know, are you, are you really just sad that the day can then go through, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, is there something deeper? Why do you feel entitled to have this person's company or things like that we just started asking each other hard questions and we created a very good space where we were able to be emotional with each other be very touchy-feely and you know it just um there was no shame in feeling particular ways and we just created that environment for us it was easy for us to talk about things and talk through things and find solutions that way i don't know if that answers that question yeah absolutely and when you were you know having these conversations did you find that there was a common like root for why you know you talk about entitlement or the way that you're feeling did you find that there was like a a common you know root cause for these feelings no i think um i have to say that i think everybody's different everybody's purpose in life is a little bit different and there's no one root cause but we kind of find them as we open up spaces to talk, if that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. So one particular guy is going through something, feeling a particular emotion, we kind of all just bend together and say, okay, you know, let's, let's talk this one through. Mm-hmm. What's going on? And if I'm being completely candid, a lot of guiding questions that I ask, a lot of conversations that I facilitate have come from me examining myself. You know, every little emotion I feel, I'll be the first one to ask myself and say, okay, is this ego-driven, Sid? Like, you know, do you mm-hmm. really care about being right here or do mm-hmm. you want to have the right solution? You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. questions like that when we learn to ask ourselves, um, you know, why we're feeling a particular way. It becomes easier to also ask people around you. And our group of friends just happen to be all guys, you know. And, you know, on a surface level, we seem very, like, fratty and, uh, you know, douchey, for lack of better terms. But one of the things we really enjoyed was creating a space where people felt comfortable around us. Like, we took pride in that. You know, mm-hmm. people would meet us and they would have a really good time with us. And um, and uh, and that's what we really enjoyed doing. But to your point, the root cause was different each time. There's no particular theme. But getting to that root cause uh, comes from facilitating good, open, no-judgment conversations, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so the places where you have those conversations. So I've been a big fan of your website and I look at it on a regular basis. And... I know some events you've had in the past have to do with video games or um, basketball contests. And you, I, I really appreciate the way you meet people where they want to be 
rather than in terms of physical space or virtual space. And then you have those conversations there rather than trying to put them in an uncomfortable place, whether that be like a rec center or an event room or something like that. You meet them where they want to be. How have you really cultivated those kinds of spaces and why have you cultivated those spaces? So that answer comes from the first theme that I talked about, which is we all look for validation. Um, so I, I know my group of guys. I know what we're into, right? And for example, if we take basketball, we like basketball because we can be competitive. Um, it's something we associate ourselves with when we when we watch it on TV. We look at players that we love, and it's just something that drives us, right? And I find it to be a good vessel um, to to just kind of do things that we love, but also take a look at something like, you know, hey, we love basketball. We love having people to look up to. Could you imagine if the LGBTQ community had a league for them where LGBTQ folks could look at players and athletes that they admire? Think about how much of our lives are sports. Imagine extending that. Imagine giving that kind of funding to the WNBA who don't get paid as much mm -hmm. as our favorite players do, right? And it's just, it's easy to use Sorry, it's easy to use um, uh, things that we love, things that we're passionate about to make an example out of that and say, hey, this is what we can extend to communities around us. Absolutely. That's so, I appreciate that so much in the work that you do. And it leads me to my next question. And Yasmin and I were thinking about this as well, is the idea of how you bring toxic masculinity very often is anti-queer or mm -hmm. the ways that it, manifested society is very anti-queer um, people and so how do you make sure that your spaces are also understanding intersectionality and the ways that people have different sexualities or gender identities that still fall within um, their perceptions of the masculine so how do you have conversations with people who might be manifesting those anti you know homophobic or anti-trans spaces while also making the spaces safe for queer folks um so a lot of in my experience anti-queerness came from just the um again back back to validation right it was funny for people to make uh, a homophobic slur right and get a laugh out of the guys for it um that's where you tackle these things you know you, you create these spaces and you say hey i know you're a good intention person and i know you're trying to get a laugh out of people but it shouldn't be at the expense of an entire demographic and a lot of times I've noticed that uh, people in general are very, they have good intentions. They need to be called in. And I myself, not being somebody oppressed right now as a, a queer person in the, as a, from the queer community or, or BIPOC right now that hasn't experienced significant oppression, I use that um, privilege to practice some allyship, right? And I look at my guys and I say, hey, look, I know you mean well. This isn't funny, mm -hmm. right? Right. You want to be a funny person trust me there's much better ways to do that we can't you know what i mean and it's mm -hmm. it's little conversations like that that open up this um opportunity for education and and you you need to you know at least with boys of the future i look at a, a bunch of the guys and i say okay which one of you actually wants to be better wants to be a leader mm -hmm. and chances are a lot of the times it's it's a majority of them you just need to have that conversation and this takes me to my second point of you know unchecked entitlement mm -hmm. right like oh yeah we're guys we could just say do that who's gonna hold us accountable mm -hmm. well, we have to hold each other accountable once we start doing that that's how we get better absolutely yeah so talking about you know education 
if we, you know, coming from a place of understanding that we do learn gender roles and toxic masculinity at such a, you know, young age, how can we unlearn these things as adults and can we? Um, I have a very philosophical answer to this. <laughs> we welcome philosophy for sure. So I'm a, I fall in the nihilism spectrum. I don't really believe in anything. For me, it's just like everything's completely made up. That makes it easier for me to unlearn things because whatever I've learned, I can tell myself that this is what we've learned to hear because mm-hmm. this is what we've observed. But everything should be subject to change. We haven't figured anything out yet. We're just tiny specks of dust in the in the grand scheme of things. We're just creating rules and creating like even if you look at our favorite um, you know science theories, right? Like you look at something like uh, special relativity with Einstein. Um, there's still gaps, right? It works mm-hmm. best in a lot of you know everyday life, but there's still gaps. And that's exciting to me because that's an opportunity to find something that works better at some point. That's so, a really cool outlet. Yeah. <laughs> and that that allows me personally to unlearn things. So something I've actually, and I'll be completely honest with you, um, something over the past couple of years that I've been actively unlearning and reading literature now is, is a concept of, you know, non-binary gender. So for me, I had this, thing this like knee jerk where it was like even if a person identifies a trans you know they they transition it's still one or the other you know what i mean and for me i was like okay this is not this is just something that i was taught 100 Mm percent just like everything else that i've you know learned this is an opportunity for me to unlearn and become better and understand spectrums you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to ask yourself questions. I can't stress that enough. You just got to say, okay, why do I think this way? Was I taught this? Is everything made up? And the answer is usually yes. We like to make things <laughs> up a lot. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, when we look at toxic masculinity, of such a big part of that is this has always been here. When really has it always been here? And so. I think as a society, we're so scared to change and the ways that we interact with media, the ways that we interact with politics, the ways we interact with each other, always reinforce what we see to the point where we think that that's natural. And so we talk about this a lot at LA Squared, where we talk about how many things are manufactured beliefs, manufactured systems. And when we talk about non-binary people, non-binary people have always existed. History has showed, archaeology has showed, science has showed they've always existed. And so this idea that society currently is so manufactured and so scared to change, you know, it, it really helps move your perspective away from, oh, like now we're changing what has been natural or normal to actually we're changing something that was manufactured for certain people and now we're moving towards systems that are open to all people mm-hmm. that's a great way to put it i like to use systems particularly because whatever system we're living in right now was created to benefit those that were already doing well in that system if that kind of makes sense yep. yeah right and we need to understand that in order to truly be a global globalized um species lack of better terms i'm not entirely sure what i'm <laughs> what i'm trying to say is you know, in order to have this borderless kind of earth, 
right? We have to redefine what the system is now, something mm -hmm. that includes everybody, includes all perspectives. Um, and we just need to be open to unlearning some things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, and then, and then relearn it. Yeah. Which is fun. That's what that's what's fun about learning. Everything's changing always and you should we should be cool and completely okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean when we talk about unlearning and we talk about allyship, a big part of what your organization does is talks about how men can be better allies for women in non binary identities. How how would you suggest to your audience how people could be better allies? Just shut up and listen. That's pretty much it. Uh, listen to some stories. Like, you know, we just need some perspective and you need to realize that when somebody is explaining something to you, that's an opportunity to look at the world a particular way which you may not have had the opportunity to before. And, you know, we talk about leadership in our, in our circle a lot. If you want to be a leader, and this is something I had to learn too, it's not about being the loudest in the room, it's about elevating those around you. And you can't do that until you hear out folks, listen to different perspectives, and really put people in decision-making power, right? And that's how yeah. you have a uh, diverse and inclusive space. Mm -hmm, yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much, Sid, for joining us. We really, really appreciate the time and energy you've given us so far at Ally Squared. And um, I think there's so much for our listeners to learn from you, and I hope that they go to Boys of the Future. Um, for having those conversations and for finding resources. So we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you Thanks for being here. I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, how was that for you, Yasmin? That was very informative. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of just sat back and listened. That's I feel the like best I Yeah, I feel had. like I learned a lot from that. So to kind of, you know, move forward when we're talking about you know, toxic masculinity, there's a lot of societal impacts that um, do occur for men that, you know, I feel like a lot of times women don't necessarily think of it. We just think of how it affects us. But there are many ways that it affects the men around us. You know, the way that society has this very specific view or expectation of men and that, you know, men are less nurturing or less empathetic I feel like a lot of times we feel like men can't be the same type of a parent as a woman can, mm -hmm. which can in turn, it leads to a lot of men, you know, not being able to um, have custody of their children, if mm -hmm. we're talking about things like that. And if they don't meet, you know, these expectations of this kind of macho view that they're supposed to portray to the world, they can be ostracized. Or if their sexuality is questioned, they're, you know, called gay, queer, you know, these very demeaning names, which is harmful not only to them, but to the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah, they've negated words that are incredibly empowering. And exactly. Toxic um, behaviors. Exactly. Um, and one thing I was kind of talking to Uswa about earlier is, you know, this idea that there's a lot of stereotyping that we see in the media and within marketing. And these are things that are kind of ingrained in us from a very, very young age. So when we're looking at the way that, you know, toys or things for children are marketed towards them, 
there's very specific language that is used. So when we're talking about, you know, language that's being used to negate the LGBTQ plus community, things like this, it's very similar to the way that language can be used in a very negative way and we're, you know, we internalize that. So for example, for boys, we might see things like words like fight or battle, power, hero. And then for girls, we see words like, you know, fashion, cute, um, love, pink, you know, Mm. we're telling four and five-year-olds that they're like little mommies when we're you know it's and but you're never telling a boy like oh you're you know a little dad so it's very interesting the way that society kind of ingrains these things through the use of language in our minds Mm -hmm. from a very very young age and i mean so talked about this this Mm -hmm. culture of entitlement and so when you have those learned behaviors at such an early age they then transition into a belief that that's that's your knowledge and therefore you're entitled to feeling this way because that's all you've ever been taught. And so that entitlement just gets perpetuated throughout your life, especially when no one is holding you accountable to it. And so I feel like we have these phases of our lives that just feed into one another and perpetuate the behaviors we learned at such a young age. And so I think it's really important for us to really start from the beginning and understand the ways that we implicitly tell children, you know, their gender roles and the ways that they have to identify under certain genders and how they have to identify under, you know, binary genders. And I think that all is perpetuated throughout our lives. And so when we go back to allyship, I think of such a good part is as adults, knowing that you have to do the unlearning before you go ahead and you teach And then I think for, you know, parents, it's so important to make sure that they're conscious about the decisions and the words that they're using around their children so that, you know, binary genders or genders at all aren't put into the language that we talk to our kids with or the toys that we let them play with or the responsibilities we give them at such a young age. And so I think that's really important. Yeah, and I think it's important to understand, like how you say, you know, the things that we let them do. People are not inherently this way. It's what, you know, you as a parent, you're in a place of power, essentially, Mm -hmm. over what your children can or cannot do and what they can and cannot learn. You are that starting point for, you know, what they are internalizing about the world around us at such a young age and that is when you learn the most about Mm -hmm. life and it's like so important to just you know let children know from a very young age that you don't have to be a certain way Mm -hmm. you don't have to play with certain things you don't have to like blue because you are a boy yeah you know things like that so this kind of falls into the ways that we see you know men combating toxic masculinity now is maybe perhaps how you choose to parent your children and how you choose to teach them so like education you know and then like sid talked a lot about holding themselves and the other people around them accountable so when you're you know maybe making a joke might be you know a homophobic joke just maybe saying to your friend like hey that's not actually funny like 
I'm not going to validate what you're saying right now by laughing and, mm-hmm. you know, acting like that's an acceptable way to talk about people. Let's find something else to joke mm-hmm. about. Yeah. And also just exploring, you know, activities that may be seen as traditionally feminine. So I feel like, you know, even just a simple thing like self-care, you know, like mm-hmm. doing a face mask for yeah, some why is that like why are you only, not like, allowed do? Yeah, why can't you moisturize your face? Like I don't understand. You should be. You you should be. It's cold. It's horrible. It's, it's really not a great thing. Like I will give you my best face masks. I have so many recommendations. Yeah, or getting your eyebrows done. Yeah. I have so many people who are like, oh my God, like he gets his eyebrows done. And I was like, yes, he should get his eyebrows done. Absolutely. So things like that. These are things that don't need to be, you know, quote unquote feminine activities. Um, And just, you know, maybe we should start to normalize those things. Absolutely. I mean last valentine's day my partner and i went for pedicures and it was the greatest thing and the greatest way to spend valentine's day ever and it wasn't it doesn't have to be a question of oh he's doing it as a treat for me it's actually we're doing it to relax together and so those kinds of conversations need to deviate into you know shared experiences and making sure that it's not something that oh you're doing it because your partner wanted you to do it not because you as a man wants to do it so i think that's super important I think that's also a really good place to close this discussion off because I think, you know, we reflect on the ways that we can materialize combating toxic masculinity in our lives. And I just want to give a shout out again to Sid. And you can find more information about Boys of the Future at Boys Future 2020 on Instagram and Twitter. And then if you want to reach out to Sid, it's at underscore Sid Pereira on Twitter and um, the director of equity for boys of the future is Graham and you can follow him at at underscore Graham R on Twitter yeah and thank you again Sid for coming it was so informative (laughs) (laughs) I really enjoyed this so much and so make sure to catch us on our next episode um, and hopefully we'll have another great special guest thank you everyone thank you